I would rather be in my office than do other stuff. I'm not tempted by golf or things like that. I sort of follow what Noel Coward, the playwright, said, which is, work is more fun than fun. You're listening to Bob Lye, world-famous copywriter and prolific, best-selling author of more than 100 published books. Be sure to listen to the very end of this episode. After the outro, I have a super exciting announcement, including how you can get free training direct from Bob on using content marketing to turn browsers into buyers. And if you've ever entertained the idea of becoming a writer yourself, whether as a side hustle or going full-time, you're about to learn a lot because Bob is today's guest on Solopreneur Success. Welcome to the Solopreneur Success Podcast, where successful business owners gather to share true stories and sound advice to help you start and grow your own solopreneur business. Come soar with us and design the life you love. Now, here's your host, Steve Combs. Hello, solopreneurs. Today, I'm interviewing Bob Bly, one of my heroes in the world of copywriting and an industry legend, but more than copywriting, Bob's also an incredibly prolific author. Is one of the reasons I wanted to bring him on today. His book, The Copywriter's Handbook, is an industry standard. I have it here on my shelf next to me. Also other books. He has Visual Marketing Handbook and numerous books. We're going to talk about that in a moment too, but I can't wait to hear Bob's insights from four decades of writing experience. And Bob, welcome to the show today. Thank you for having me. It's much appreciated. Well, Bob, one of the things I like to do with my guests first off is just kind of get a feel for how did you arrive at where you are today? Because many people, they start one direction, they end up somewhere else. And my understanding is you went to school for something completely different than writing. So how did you go from where you started to where you are today? What was your journey to become a writer? I always wanted to become a scientist. So I began majoring in chemistry and then realized to succeed in that field, you need a PhD. And I didn't want to go to school that long so that I could keep my chemistry credits, switching to chemical engineering which dealt with similar material, but with a chemical engineering, you get a BS. That's all you need to have a career. But I always liked writing and reading. And I was, our college had a daily newspaper, Monday through Friday, and I was the features editor. I said to myself, maybe I would rather be a writer. I seem to be better at writing than I do at engineering. And I am at engineering. And so when you're an engineering major, Big companies and small companies come on campus to recruit you, and I did interview for engineering positions, even went on interviews and got one or two, but a couple of the recruiters said, you know, our company needs writers, technical writers, and with your engineering background, you'd be perfect. So I went on some interviews, and I got uh, a couple of job offers, and I started, and I took a job with Westinghouse Aerospace in Baltimore in 1979 as a technical marketing writer. I was writing marketing stuff, but it was you know, for electronics and aerospace products. Wow, that sounds pretty intense for uh, just jumping out of college and getting straight into that. But you obviously already had a great knack for writing and you enjoyed writing. And so that took you away from your original goal of uh, this kind of engineering type of career into writing. But you very quickly went freelance, I understand too. How did that come about? Well, after a year at Westinghouse, I had also been offered after college a job by a firm called Coke Engineering, which no one heard of back then, but is owned today by the infamous Coke brothers. And I worked for David Coke. So 
I didn't take their job, but they didn't forget me. And they called me about a year later and said, we really want you. Can you come to New York and talk with us again? So I went there and they put pressure on me, you know, in a good way. And they offered a lot more money than I was making at Westinghouse. And I would have more responsibility at Westinghouse. You know, I was a junior marketing writer here. I would be, although it's a smaller firm, I would be the advertising manager. So I took it and I liked that job. But after like a year and a half, David went on to take more responsibility with the parent company, Coke Industries. He hired a new guy to be president of Coke Engineering. And the first day the guy came around, he came to say hello to everyone. And he said to me, oh, yeah, you're going to have to move to Wichita, Kansas, which is where Coke Engineering headquarters and Coke Industries headquarters are. And I didn't feel like relocating. And my fiance had no desire to live in Wichita, so I quit. That was a, a risk you took there, and it panned out. How did you hit the ground when you left that job? Was that something that was a struggle at first, or how did you move into moving, I should say, away from corporate into a freelance lifestyle, and how did that work out for you? Well, it was a lot of trial and error, because unlike today, there were no books, there were no courses, there were no classes, there were no organizations that helped you become a freelance writer or copywriter. So I had to figure it out on my own. And I made a lot of mistakes. A lot of it was trial and error. And, you know, you eventually figure it out. Yeah, that's about the truth of it, too. Isn't it? I mean, we're going to make mistakes. No matter what you do, you're going to make mistakes. The key is learning from them, trying to make it where it's devastating, take some general risk <laughs> management uh, into mind, and then keep on moving forward. Now, when you went freelance, was that more copywriting or was it technical writing? Or what, what kind of writing it were you doing then? copywriting or marketing but for industrial clients. I didn't do any consumer companies the first couple of years because, again, my engineering degree made me very attractive to them and gave me a huge advantage over other copywriters and ad agencies. So it was fairly easy, not totally easy, but fairly easy to get hired at those companies. That's a great point, too. And I, I work a lot with copywriters today and helping them decide what direction to move. And if you have experience in any area like you did, if you can pick a niche that can set you up as an expert or a specialist, that's certainly going to help you hit the ground running faster. So that's great advice. Bob, you mentioned that you did the, the copywriting, but you also wrote books. And I'm curious, when did you write your first book and what was that? Was, was that the copywriting handbook or was it something else? Something else. I loved writing and I had an idea when I was at Westinghouse doing more technical writing, I would ask my boss a lot of questions that had to do with it, and there were no answers, there were no definitive answers. Now, I had read, like many people had, the book The Elements of Style by Strunk and White in college, but that didn't apply to technical subjects. So when I moved to New York City, I approached an, a literary agent, and I said, what about a book, instead of The Elements of Style, The Elements of Technical Writing? And... I would write the book that I felt I wanted to have when I was Westinghouse. He took it to McGraw-Hill. They instantly made an offer and paid in advance. And that was my first book. It, I wrote it in 81. It came out early in 82. And it is still in print today. Oh, that's awesome. And <laughs> especially, you know, traditional publishing. Now, I, I think I read something recently. You were, I don't know if it was an article you wrote or as an email or something, but I remember seeing something I'm pretty sure you said something about your thoughts on traditional versus self-publishing. I'd, I'd love to hear what your thoughts are on that because you, you've written 
matter of fact, I'm, we're going to talk about this in a minute, but you're coming out with book number 100. I'm, I'm just astounded. <laughs> 100 books. That's like incredible that you've written that many books over the years. But you know, you've also self-published books. So what are your thoughts on the differences between like traditional publishing, self-publishing? What would you recommend to people and why? I'm, well, I'm prejudiced. I much prefer, for many reasons, can't go into all of them here, but I much prefer having a traditional publisher. The only books I self-published were books I knew I couldn't sell to my regular publishers. It's about five books that are collections of my e-newsletter. You know, I just compile the issues into books, and I've done that about four or five times. But the rest of my books are all traditionally published. And one of the great things about traditional publishing is that you get the services of great editors, copy editors, and proofreaders for free. And they are much more demanding, and they sort of put you through your paces before they'll accept your manuscript, and I think it results in a better book. So that's one thing I like better about it. The other one is that there's no investment of money. In fact, you get money goes to you. You get an advance, and then as the books sell, you get a royalty check every six months. I like that arrangement. And third, a lot of people would disagree, but a lot of the books I wrote were, you know, had the effect of building my reputation in the copywriting, marketing niche, and a book from McGraw Hill is still more credible than a book I would write that says published by Bob Bly. That's a good point. I guess one of the arguments I've heard on the opposite side, and I'm curious what your thoughts are, is that at least with self-publishing, let's say you're going to Amazon or whatever, you get like a 70% roughly commission rate compared to what's typically much lower per book on sales for traditional publishing. How has that affected you? Is that something you've seen as an impact on income or what would you think is, you know, is it reasonable to think that you can still make similar money in traditional publishing compared to self-publishing? If you have a book that sells well, obviously you have to do more legwork on your own. And I understand from some people who are self-published and, and traditionally published that you do a lot of legwork, even if you're traditional publishing. So what are your thoughts on the income levels? Well, the people, and you hear about them, who make a lot of money publishing Kindle eBooks on Amazon and self-published books. You hear stories about people who make a lot of money, but they are the outliers. Most, and you can refine articles, I don't have them in front of me, where the average Kindle ebook self-published on Amazon sells 100 copies. So the royalty rate may be higher, or the payment rate may be higher, but it's fewer books. Now, I'm not saying that traditionally published books you know, sell carloads. Most of them don't. But my technical writing book, for example, I wrote it in 81. I'm still getting royalty checks today, and it has sold over 150,000 copies. Yeah, that's, that's a powerful though. Have you had to, I'm assuming over all these years you've had to update it. How many times have you had to update that book? That one, believe it or not, we only updated once because the material is kind of evergreen. The books that I have to update more often are marketing books because the writing book is the fundamentals of clear writing, which really haven't changed. But the marketing books, marketing is changing rapidly. There's all new technologies. There's quick response codes. There's Facebook posts, social media, ad retargeting. So those have to be updated more frequently. Sure. And that makes sense. Now, you're coming out with book number 100. I saw you at boot camp at Donna AWI's boot camp back in the spring. And you mentioned book 100 is coming out this fall. So what is that book coming out? 
That is coming out September 3rd or 4th. It's something like the big book of words that persuade. It is a collection of phrases and words that are persuasive and that can be used to strengthen copywriting and other persuasive writing, such as proposals. Wow. And I guess this is awesome. And most people are like, you know, yeah, I've got the one book in mind and you're lucky if you get one book out there in the world. And then you're just nailing the books. You're so prolific. And this is what, 82 to, what is it, 27 years. You've written yeah. 100 books. So that's an average of like four books a year or something like that. Yeah, I average about two and a half to three books a year. Okay, that's still quite the throughput. That's in addition to your copywriting clients that you still do a lot of writing there. I'm really curious if you could share with our audience, so what is your day-to-day writing process? What is your you know, typical day in the life of Bob Lai look like? I've worked most of my last few decades 12 hours a day. I'm getting a little older, so I've sort of cut that down to 11 hours a day, although I've made up the time by putting in the, the extra hours on the weekend. So basically, I get in the office at 6 or 7 in the morning. I start with the difficult stuff. I write my challenging copywriting assignments. I work on those all day. Obviously, I pause to have talk with clients or prospects. And then sort of toward mid-afternoon, 3 or 4, if I feel done for the day with a big copywriting project, I said, hey, can't work on this anymore today. I'll switch for the last hour or two of the day to a book, which is more relaxing. Gotcha. That's a... Why the heck schedule? I know a lot of people, they, they have this idea of freelance life and it's like really easy or sitting down at the beach, but you're talking about going into an office. So do you actually have your own office that's outside of your home or is that a home I used office? To. I had it for over 20 years for reasons I won't go into unless you want me to. I had to move to a, a home office a few years ago, but it is a separate room, obviously. And, you know, I have privacy here as well. And I would rather be in my office than do other stuff. I'm not tempted by golf or things like that. I sort of follow what Noel Coward, the playwright, said, which is work is more fun than fun. Well, it is when you love what you do. That's yeah, great. if you love what, if Les Paul, the guitarist and guitar maker, said, if you love what you do for, to earn a living, you essentially will never work a day in your life. That's so true. You know, there's certain things I love to do. And when I get to do those aspects of my job, you know, my career, my freelance life, those always just light up my day and I could just, you know, just smile through it, enjoying every moment of it. And when you find that, you're right, it's not work. It's fun. It's pleasurable. It's fulfilling. And Thomas Carlyle said, blessed is he who has found his work. Let him ask no other blessedness. I'm on that. <laughs> that's, that's right. So... You do a lot of different copywriting now because you said you do go into consumer and other things. You know, you don't think you even have a, like a niche anymore, really. I mean, you're, you're so well known that I think you do a lot of variety of projects. Is that something you do on purpose to kind of give you variety? Or? Not that it's on purpose, but here's what happens. When you start off, you generally need a niche. And so I, the logical niche for me was industrial marketing because of my engineering degree. But as the years go on, people hear of you, see you, and they come, people come to you with projects that are outside your niche. And you want to have more, you just say, hey, I wouldn't mind the variety. So you take them and slowly you get experience in many fields. I don't go market to people, but a lot of people call me who are not technical or industrial products or clients. And, you know, at this point I have enough 
experience in many different fields that when they ask me, well, do you have any experience in our product line, you know, eight out of 10 times or our industry, I have it or something close to it. Gotcha. Now, now this is actually a show for solopreneurs who are they may be already working as a solopreneur, but there may be a lot of people listening to the show. And I know there are who are still working a full-time job and they want to move into a freelance style of living where they have mm-hmm. control over what they do and when they do it. If somebody wanted to become a writer, whether it's a copywriter or an author or editorial writer, what have you, what would you recommend they get started with? How would you say, you know, take your first steps this way? What would you suggest? Well, first, it would be different for those categories. Wouldn't be the same for a journalist as for a book author as for a copywriter. But basically, the first thing you should do is get good. Like in my case, I wrote a lot because our college paper was daily. So I had to do articles every day and I did it four years. Malcolm Gladwell says, if you do something for a thousand hours, you're going to get good at it. And by the time I graduated college, I calculated it. I had already written for 1200 hours. So I wasn't great, but I was good. So you have to get good. And the only ways you can get good at writing are number one, to write a lot, as I just gave the example of, a thousand hours will give you competency, to read a lot, and then to study writing, whether it's journalism or copywriting. Take courses, read articles, go to conferences. Those are the three ways to get good. Once you get good, you can hang out your shingle, and there are so many ways to get copywriting work. I actually, or writing work, I've written several books about it. For copywriters, I wrote Secrets of a Freelance Writer. And you have to put up a website today, and then you have to market and sell yourself, just like any other professional. A guy who does pest control, the guy who mows your lawn and picks up your leaves, the guy who comes to your house and installs the the central air conditioning unit. You have to market and sell your service. And writing and copywriting and book writing is a service that's sold like any other. Absolutely. I'm going to harken back to what you mentioned earlier today also, which is the editing expertise you got from traditional publishing. That's also feedback, which will also improve your writing because it kind of holds you to that high standard to kind of force you in a sense to, you know, raise the level of your game, you might say, in writing. And so that's you know, maybe a fourth way I would say you can certainly improve your well, writing. Well, that's very feedback. beneficial. You get that with copywriting too, though. You have clients who review your work. So it's pretty much the same there. but Editing, especially professional editing, is quality control for the written word. Yeah, and another thing about copywriting also is you actually get you know real results back. Now, is this working or not? You typically know on the online campaigns, you can know in 24 hours if you have a winner or not. And you can tweak it really quickly online too, which is also pretty exciting. A little bit different than books. A different title, a different cover might change dramatically the sales rate of a book. Journalism, that seems to be kind of for me, I, I would be surprised that many people could make any real significant money with journalism. Some people may want to do it just because of the love of the art and bringing stories out. But I would imagine there's other ways that you could use that to make an income perhaps through, you know, maybe travel writing or story-based writing and certain ways that you sell to publications. So I'm really curious also, Bob, on, on the, the process of writing itself. Let's say you're writing a book and you have this idea for this is what I want to write. Let's say you know, you're writing the copywriter's handbook, fourth edition or whatever. Let's, just, let's actually start with a brand new book idea. 
Right. What is your process from idea to completion? Kind of in a, on a grand overview of what is your plan to work through getting a book accomplished? I come up with an idea that I think is saleable, that people would want or need, and that I want to write. And the next step is after I run it by my literary agent and have him say, yes, it's a good idea. I think I can sell that. Where no, I don't think I could sell that. If he says, and publishers are not going to buy that, I'll find another idea. But if I have an idea that he's enthusiastic about, the next step is you write, at least the way I do it, publishing with mainstream publishers, is you write a book proposal, which is in essence a document that is used to sell the book. Then you find a literary agent, you give him or her the book proposal, and then you sit back and they go out and find and sell it to a publisher if everything works out. So that's the first part. And then the second part, of course, is to write the book. And if you've done the book proposal correctly, you've got a head start because the book proposal demands a detailed part of it is a detailed table of contents for the book. So once your publisher buys it and gives you the go-ahead, you've already got your outline. You simply have to chapters and under those headings for sections of the chapters. All you have to do, in essentially, is put that in a Word document and then start filling in the blanks under each heading and subheading, and that's how you write your book. And it seems to me that'll be very powerful. Even if you want to be self-published, that book proposal, just a process of going through that, is going to set you up for success either way, whether you're going traditional or self-publishing. So I, I think that would be very helpful to create that for yourself, if no other reason, just to have that outline. Yeah, I think... You don't have to do a whole book proposal, but working from a de- for nonfiction, for a detailed outline, the more detailed, the better, will make your life easier in either case, self-publishing or traditional publishing. Sure. Just kind of a fun question. What, what would you say would be your favorite book that you've written? I mean, as far as what was fun to write? The most recent book or the second most recent book I wrote, well, one book, I guess it was a few books ago published last year, I wrote a book that was a science biography. title is Charles Proteus Steinmetz, The Electrical Wizard of Schenectady. And everybody's heard of Tesla, but Steinmetz was actually more important in developing alternating current as a power source and the AC power grid we have today. That is fascinating. I'm actually not familiar with him. I was actually up at Niagara Falls just last week and, and, you know, learning more about Tesla again and, and uh, just his background with AC current and such. Very interesting. I'll definitely have to check that book out. So I know, Bob, you have a lot on your website for people who have interest in writing and for growing a business, whether it's you know, a writing business or just uh, making the most of, of their marketing. And I just want to point this out because I don't want to forget here because you have like $100 of reports you can just grab for free just by, you know, just say, hey, sign up for the list. There's no uh, obligation there. If you don't like it, you know, cancel. I just want to mention here, Bob has entrepreneurial retirement. I know it's going to be of interest to anybody listening to the show. Secrets of biz- successful business-to-business marketing, how to double your response rates and half the cost, and online marketing that works. And, and by the way, just study the titles that Bob uses for his books and his reports. You can get a, a master's lesson in how to title things effectively just by looking at, at Bob's Thanks, website. <laughs> and uh, that website is, is bly.com, right? Yes, it's www, of course, bly.com. And my last name, conveniently, for me. <laughs> it works great. And, and so, Bob, I, I really appreciate you coming on the show today. Anything you'd like to share with our listeners that uh, would help them 
make a choice when it comes to writing how to, well, we kind of talk about the first steps and directions and all of this, good and good. But let's say somebody, you know, taking the time to grow their skills, they have gotten good. What would be the stage that you could say, okay, now it's time to leave the job, just for example, because many of the people listening to the show, again, they're trying to move into the freelance life. When do you know that's the right time to jump? Because you, you, know, you kind of took a risk there when you jumped and you jumped early and you made it work pretty quickly. But today, what would be that sign that says, well, okay, so I'm ready to go? It's so different for me than people today. And the reason is when I did it, I was in my early to mid-20s. It wasn't a risk. I had a cheap apartment in New York City before the rents went crazy, you know, a little walk-up studio. And I didn't have a wife. I didn't have kids. I didn't have a car. I didn't have expenses. So it wasn't that big a risk. It's different than a guy who's 40 today. And, you know, his life is so expensive today. And he's got to save for his IRA. He has two kids that are about to go to college. So, you know, it's the standard formula people say is you should have enough money saved up that if you become a freelance writer and you make zero money, no sales for the first six to 12 months, you could be okay. I didn't do that. I had almost no money when I started. But again, I had no financial responsibilities. That's a good point, too. I mean, I know, you know I was myself writing for about 18 months before I went full-time. And I only went full-time because I got laid off from my job. But I said, that's fine. <laughs> I'm going full-time right now. And so I did have an income established already. It wasn't the same income that I had as an IT guy, which I was before I became full-time writer. But at the same time, I quickly replaced that income because I had the full-time available to replace it with. And so that's you know, just something to think about is, you know, if you want to become a full-time writer, then you'll have some savings set aside so you don't have the financial pressure and stress that some people have. And I ended up with some financial pressure and stress that I did not want being laid off and find out I didn't actually get unemployment because I was pursuing gainful employment as a self-employed person. Didn't realize that after the fact. But you can make good money writing. And, and Bob's living proof of that. I'm living proof of that. And many people I know are proof of that, uh, that you can make a good living as a writer. And so I, I really appreciate your insights today, Bob. Uh, one last question for you for today, and we'll let you go. Sure. What's next for you and your business? I mean, you have, you have so much prolific writing going on, but what are you doing now or what's next on your plate that'll take your business to the next level? Or is there a next level for you? There's actually not. People always say to me, well, why don't you form a writing agency? We're a marketing agency. You know, and I have one full-time employee who's my administrative assistant. And I use a couple of virtual assistants for other stuff. Because as you know, I also have an information marketing business online. So it's a lot of stuff. But basically, sometimes I jokingly tell people, I have been doing the exact same thing for 40 straight years, and I couldn't be happier. And it's true. I don't have any ambition to... Uh, become, you know, the next David Ogilvy. I'm happy writing every day. I make enough money that we live comfortably and that's all I want. That's great. You know, that's so important too. Some people, they just get so hung up on, I have to have more, I have to have more. But when you find that level where you're content and your needs are provided for and you love what you do, what could you want more? Bob, it's been terrific uh, having you on today. Thank you so much for joining me. It's my pleasure. It was fun. Thank you for listening to the Solopreneur Success Podcast. We hope you discovered valuable advice on how to start and grow your own successful solopreneur business. If you liked the podcast, you'll love the all-new Solopreneur Success Connections community at solopreneurcoach.com. 
Here you'll get exclusive access to our private, members-only community of business builders, free business building resources, and live online monthly training designed to accelerate your business success. Join us now at solopreneurcoach.com. Hey, solopreneurs, it's Steve Combs again. Hey, if you like that interview with Bob Lai, you will absolutely love the free training that's about to happen on Tuesday, March 31st, 2020 on content marketing. Bob's based this on his new book, The Content Marketing Handbook, and it's an incredible amount of training you're going to get absolutely free with, and here's the big announcement, the Solopreneur Success Connections Community. This is a brand new membership community designed for business builders, solopreneurs, small business owners, folks like you who want to really massively scale up their business and make it really successful so that it doesn't mean scale up in the way of getting a lot of employees. What I mean is this is your way to really make your business work for you. That's what we all want, right? We want to have the time flexibility, the ability to grow great income. And that's exactly what Solopreneur Success Connections membership is all about. And you can learn all about that on the brand new member website. It's available right now at solopreneurcoach.com. And you can go directly to the membership sign-up page at solopreneurcoach.com forward slash membership. Now, I'll put the link in the show notes. But when you go there, you'll see during this launch time frame some discount codes on the sales page. But I want to do something even better for my Solopreneur Success podcast listeners. Take note of this right now. I'm going to put it on the show notes, but also write this down. For my Solopreneur Success podcast listeners only, I have a special discount code. Here it is. SS30FREE. That's SS for Solopreneur Success. 30 free. SS30 free altogether. That discount code will get you an automatic 30-day free trial to Solopreneur Success. That means you don't even have to put in the small amount to get started. You can just get started free right away. That means that when you listen to this, you get the next monthly live business training free, whether it's Bob Lai or if you hear this episode later on and it's someone else. We have live monthly business trainings every single month for our entire community. And you can jump on there, get the free training, ask your questions of these actual world around experts like Bob Lai. And if for some reason you miss it, our members also get access to all the recordings. So let's say you heard this episode after the training on March 31st. That's okay. Get your free membership because you're going to get the full recording to Bob and any other trainings that have happened by the time you listen to this, as long as that discount code is active. So I do want to encourage you to jump on there now. Again, that's solopreneurcoach.com forward slash membership. And that special discount code again is ss 30 F-R-E-E, SS30 free, 30 free day trial for my Solopreneur Success podcast listeners. Hey, thank you for being here. I'm excited to be back with you and we're going to do great things together. Here's to your success.